It's kind of fitting that as we began 2020, with a study in the parables of our Lord, we draw it to a close with the same. And it's also timely that we conclude our year with an Advent parable. Maybe you've never heard of an Advent parable. Your sense of Advent is that it's waiting for Christmas. But Advent is not only about the first coming of Jesus. It is also about the second. The collect for the Church of England's first Sunday in Advent reads like this. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, now and ever. Amen. Notice the balance in our Anglican brothers and sisters' liturgy. They understand that Advent is about the first coming of Jesus, the humble incarnation, when God became flesh and dwelt among us, and it is about the second coming of Christ, his triumphal return. The return of our Lord is the subject of this morning's message. Uh, Jesus told this story that we find in Matthew's Gospel in response to a question posed to him by his disciples that we find a little bit earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 24, 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Today's scripture, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. The parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God bless the reading of his word today. 
A parable is a story told to illuminate something unknown by the use of something known. In this instance, the something unknown is the return of Jesus. What's it going to be like? When is it going to happen? What will be the signs of his coming? And there's something known to the original hearers, admittedly lost a little bit on us, so the preparation involved in a Middle East wedding. The setting of this parable is a wedding feast. A marriage is about to take place, and one of the parties to be married is delayed. In my experience, the one that we're waiting for at a wedding is usually the bride. And if I'm to be completely truthful when I say usually the bride, what I mean is always the bride. As in, in my experience, that is all we've ever waited for. I just did a wedding a little while ago. I honestly believe we waited about 50 minutes for the bride, and I was a little concerned that I might be officiating at, uh, one of, at, at, at the first in my life somebody being jilted at the altar. But she, she did show up, so rest easy. But usually we're waiting for the bride. But in this case, we're waiting for the bridegroom. The bridegroom in this parable represents Jesus. That's consistent with the scriptural depiction of the relationship between Christ and the church and also the imagery of God as husband that we find throughout Scripture. Jesus is the bridegroom and the ten virgins, I'm going to call them bridesmaids to make a loose cultural comparison here. They represent the professing believers who are waiting the coming, waiting to celebrate with the bridegroom. Now, Jesus takes some of the guesswork out of this parable for us, for which we are grateful, and he lets us know that of the ten young ladies waiting, five are wise and five are foolish. We've just come through a study in Proverbs, so this should be fresh on your minds, I think, that at a basic level, there are two categories that divide humanity. There are two ways to live in this world. We may live wisely, or we may live foolishly. Jesus used this same distinction in his Sermon on the Mount when he wrapped it up in Matthew chapter 7. You might know the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Rob Rank preached about that not too long ago. The one who hears the words of Jesus and does them, that person is wise. The one who hears his words and does not do anything with them, that person is foolish. So right away, we see in this parable that at the time of Jesus' return, it's going to be as it is today. There's going to be a world full of, we could even say there's going to be a church full of, consisting of a mix of wise and foolish people. The parable of the ten virgins is given in part to help us see then who by their behavior is wise and who is foolish as it relates to the return of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the implication here is that we would uh, want to be counted among the wise. The bridegroom is delayed, and the wedding party falls asleep. Now, much allegorizing has been done around this parable. You always have to be careful when you're studying a parable and trying to understand a parable not to read too much into the details. This is not a knock-on sleep. The fact that they have fallen asleep is not a knock-on sleep. No one is at fault because they fell asleep. This is not like Peter, who fell asleep when Jesus asked him to stay awake, 
Could you not watch and pray with me for an hour? Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's pouring his heart out and he's asking for his closest friends to lift him up in prayer and they can't manage to do that. Yeah, that's a different issue than what we have going on here in this parable. These bridesmaids fall asleep and there's nothing wrong with that because nothing at all would have been gained by these ten ladies staying awake and peering out the window the whole time. The problem is not that they found some rest while the groom was delayed. The problem is what happened when he finally showed up. And as we will see, their difficulty comes not from what they did in their sleeping hours, but from what they did not do, but they should have done in their waking hours. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Well, I can't speak for you, but in my experience, a cry at midnight's never really been a good thing. Unless maybe it might be January 1st. There'll probably be a lot of hooting and hollering on January 1st this year to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. Maybe a cry in the middle of the night on the eve of the announcement of Christ's birth with the angels. That would be a good thing. But usually a loud noise in the middle of the night is not a good thing. Remember the story of the Passover from our study in Exodus. A lamb for each household of the people of Israel was slain and the blood smeared on the doorposts of the homes so that all who lived under that blood, so to speak, would be saved from the judgment of God when it passed through the land. And in Exodus 12, we read this, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. You might hear that and think, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. The cry in our parable is a good cry. The bridegroom has come. And yes, as we will see here in a minute, it is good news for some. But it is terrible news for others. Just as the Passover was good news for those who were saved under the blood and horrific for those who were not. Remember the bridegroom in this story is Jesus. And he's not just the guest of honor at, at this banquet. He is also the judge who seals the eternal guest list. Cry at midnight signals impending judgment. The bridegroom is near and the ten ladies arouse and they gather their lamps to meet him. That's when we learn that half of the bridesmaid's lamps won't light because they're out of oil. These five uh, had brought no extra oil with them while the other half had for they had planned on the contingency that the bridegroom might be delayed they might burn more fuel in their lamps than they first expected. Notice this, though. Until the bridegroom comes, it appears as though everyone in the party is ready to receive him. Until the announcement is made that he is, is about on the doorstep, it looks then that 10 out of 10 are prepared to join him in celebration when in reality only half of them were. So appearances can be deceiving, can't they? 
One can look the part. One can do the right things. One can say the right things. One can carry the right equipment. One might even call him Lord. Yet it is the inward reality of salvation that carries the day and never one's appearance. So commentator Marcus Dodds makes this observation. He writes, The parable is not addressed to those who've never made any preparation for Christ's coming, but to those who have not made sufficient preparation. It reminds us that all who may at one time show similar preparedness for Christ's presence do not in the end show the same. So this isn't just a simple story, is it? Separating people who professed Christ from those who do not, which allows us in the church to kind of nod off, believing that this thing doesn't really apply to us because we're already saved and we're the ones sitting inside the church, looking outside the church, shaking our head at all those silly unsaved goats. No. This parable penetrates deep, and it is God's gracious word to all of us. This parable says that not all are his who presently appear to be his will be his at his appearing. Only those who have taken his arrival seriously and made adequate preparation for it. Only those who have a real relationship with Jesus. To the others, he says alarming words. Truly, I don't know you. This is all the more reason to make your salvation sure, beloved, to to follow the advice of Hebrews 6.11, to show the same earnestness that you may have the full assurance of hope until the end, to make your salvation sure. The point here in the parable is a simple one. Some who have the appearance of readiness will, when Jesus returns, be found not ready at all. And, And you and I want to make sure that we're not in that group. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons Jesus told this story. That's what I mean by this is God's gracious word to us all, that we not be found in that group of those who are not ready for Jesus to come back. Quite naturally, when uh, five of the young ladies awake and they see they have no oil to light their lamps and greet the bridegroom, they appeal to the ones who do have oil, give us some of your oil. But the wise answered saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. A friend of mine used to say, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. The wise ladies who have this oil seem to subscribe to that philosophy. They send their friends out to go buy the oil that they needed to light their lamps and to be ready then to welcome the bridegroom. And what we learn here is that when it comes to the return of Jesus, a person will either be prepared or they won't be, and no one else's preparation will be transferred to another. No one can rely on the readiness of another for their salvation. Each is personally responsible. Each will be personally accountable for his or her readiness to meet the Lord. Eternal life is not like a show that I can buy you a ticket for. It's not even something that I can give you a ticket to. I can't give you my ticket. People can't give their ticket to eternity to you. Some love you so much that they would. They care for you so much that they, they would give eternal life to you, their promise, if they could. But they can't because eternal life 
salvation and readiness to meet Jesus is non-transferable. Which means the time to be ready and to meet him is now. We want to be ready now and we want to be ready always. When he returns, there will be no opportunity then to become ready. Some folks, I think, are banking on that. It's a dangerous, dangerous strategy. One is either prepared to meet him or not. So when you think of it, the image of five bridesmaids running through the streets in the middle of the night, looking for a vendor who sells oil, is a good picture of the desperation and, and, and the ridiculousness, the hopelessness of a person striving to get his or her spiritual house in order after Jesus has come. Listen, no oil vendors are open at midnight. They can look, but they won't find. They had ample time before he came to prepare themselves for his coming, but they did not. And it really is literally too late for them. For while they are out looking for oil, the bridegroom did indeed show up. Verse 10, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. The finality of that verse unsettles me. The imagery of a shut door. Access denied. I read that and I think of the story of Noah. God commanded Noah to build an ark in order that his family could be saved from uh, the judgment. His family and the earth's creatures could be saved from the judgment that God was about to pour out on the earth in the form of a flood. So Noah did what he was told. He set about building that ark, and I'm sure he suffered some abuse for it. I'm I'm sure people ridiculed him for what he was doing, and perhaps even family members. He may even have questioned himself from time to time, what am I doing? In the meantime, everyone continued to live as Noah labored away on the ark as he built and built. And when that ark was completed and the time was right, God told him to go in with the creatures of the earth and with his families. And Genesis 7.16 says, And the Lord shut him in. The Lord closed the door behind him, permanently separating him from those who would, be, who would perish. The, the rains came, 40 days, 40 nights. No amount of pleading for entry into that ark would make any difference. The time had come, and the door was shut. So we read in Matthew 24, verses 37 and 39, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, life will be going on as normal until he comes, and like the flood of Noah's day, sweeps away the unbelieving in righteous judgment. He is coming, the Bible promises, at a day and a time no one knows in which many do not believe will come. 
But who will have an excuse for not believing when they have been told many times? Who will be excused for having no oil in the lamp to meet the bridegroom when they knew he was on his way? The answer is no one. No one will have an excuse and the door will be shut. The one on whom the doors of so many hearts and minds were shut now becomes the one who shuts the door on the end of redemptive history. The little babe of Christmas has grown up. And one day he will come back and close the door And those who are ready for him will be with him, and those who are not will not. Right now, the bridegroom delays. Right now, the bridegroom is holding the door open for those who are not ready, that they might become ready. For those who are not saved, that they might become saved. Is he holding the door for you?